God desires something with us, something for us, and something from us that sin prevents him from having. Therefore, he has done away with sin. So he can enjoy what he desires. He put away our sin for his sake. He put away sin for his sake. Now, I'm going to do a quick review tonight. Jesus came to take away sin. Forgiving sin and taking sin away are not the same thing. Forgiving sin is important, but taking it away is something altogether different and altogether better. John 1.29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Paul, speaking from the Holy Spirit and the prophet Isaiah in Romans eleven twenty seven, For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Of course, this was written before Jesus came and actually took our sins away by his death on the cross. But I point this out to you, and I think this verse is important because it had always been Father's plan to take our sin away. We know in Hebrews that Jesus came once at the end of the ages to put away sin. I'll get to that verse here in just a moment. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, And you know that He was manifested, speaking of Jesus, again to do what? To take away our sins. And in Him, Jesus, there is no sin. And where are we tonight? We're in Him as well. Praise God. We could not be in Him and still be sin. Hebrews 10 and 4 It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. This is why Jesus came as the one sacrifice for all sin for all time. And then this is the verse that we spent a good bit of time on last week, Hebrews 9, 25 and 26. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then, Jesus, would have had to offer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. To put away sin. Put away is even, if if anything, a step or two further than taking away sin. Now, I'm often asked, and this would be a different sermon for a different time, but I'm often asked, what about the people who lived and died before Jesus came to do this for us? Well, Again, we see that the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul and others spoke to that. And we know that Jesus, when he went into the prison, if you will, uh, souls held captive, that he preached to them and he led the captives captive. He took the captivity captive. In other words, he rescued them. And there were people, and we, we see this in Matthew's gospel, there were people who on that first resurrection morning, there were people walking the streets of Jerusalem that had been dead for years. Jesus wasn't the only person that was raised from the dead on that first resurrection Sunday. And of course, all of that's pointing to what he's done for you and me because we've been raised from the dead or born from the dead, uh, the scriptures point. Now, this, this phrase, put away, it means to abrogate, which is not a word I use that often really ever other than this verse right here. And abrogate means to abolish, annul, treat as non-existent. Abolish, annul, treat as non-existent. So abolish means to completely do away with something. 
Jesus has completely done away with your sin. Now, again, you've got to receive this. That's, there's certain things here that, you know, we get excited, we get stirred up about this. He did it for everybody, but not everybody, not everybody, right, um, is in this position. Um, oh, praise God. Here we go down another side journey. This is why John 3 says, really, the only sin that will send a man to hell is rejecting Jesus. Because Jesus already paid for all the other sins. Annul means to make ineffective or non-existent by official or legal action. So Jesus, Jesus, you know, did something for us to take away or put away our sin. And it was official and it was legal. As opposed to underhanded and, and under the table and, and uh, you know, like Father just looking the other way and pretending like we didn't sin. Now... Let's, um, amen. Let's do this. Let's go to, I want to, I want to kind of skip over some stuff and get in where we were last Wednesday night together. Though scripture, I'll put it on the screen, 2 Corinthians 4 and 18, it says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And I intentionally highlighted the words temporary and eternal because in Scripture we see temporary and eternal set in opposition to one another. And, of course, we know that um, temporary is to eternal what darkness is to light. In other words, these, these are uh, polar opposites, if you will. And they obviously do not mean the same things. And it's sad to me, but one of the key benefits of our salvation has been effectively robbed from many of God's people because the word eternal has somehow lost its meaning. And I think sometimes when we, you know, try to imagine eternal, our, our brains don't really know what to do with that. And so we just kind of, you know, eternal. Man, listen to me. Eternal life is a big deal. Let's, let's take a little side journey and, and then we'll come back to this. John chapter 3, let's begin at verse number 14. John chapter 3 and verse number 14. So I've preached in this building now for 20-something years, and I'm like mad. It's, it's, I'm, I'm trying to find myself because I'm not hearing myself twice. You know? So just bear with me. I'll get used to it, and it's a good thing. Amen. Um, I hope it sounds better out there for you, but praise God. I'm telling you, it sounds a world better up here for me. Um, sometimes I'm like, did I, what did I just say? Well, just listen. Oh, that's what I just said because I just heard it again, right? Okay, so praise God. Um, John chapter 3, verse 14. This is Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus where he explains that a man or a woman must be born again. There's no other way to see the kingdom and there's no other way to enter the kingdom unless one is born again. And of course, this is at the heart of the salvation that Jesus came to bring for us. And as he's explaining this to Nicodemus and of course recorded by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John for our benefit as well, he reminds him of a well-known event from Jewish history. 
And it, again, it's verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have, not just life, have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus is being repetitive here on purpose and the emphasis is not just on the life but on the eternal life and the everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. Listen, Jesus lived on this earth as a human being for 33 years without sin. And when He did that He took away any excuse that we would have when we stood before God and tried to say, it's not fair, God, because no man ever lived on planet Earth without sin. When Jesus lived on planet Earth without sin as a human being, He took our last excuse away from us. But He did not do it to condemn you. He did it to make you right before God in the eyes of God. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Now, Jesus used, again, reminded uh, Nicodemus of this event that was very well known and understood from Jewish history. Let's visit that now in Numbers 21 and verse number 7. It says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He may, there it is, take away the serpents from us, So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now what's going on here? People got themselves in trouble mouthing off to God, mouthing off about the, the, the leadership that, that, um, that God had uh, put in place in, in their lives. A lot of you know that I've had the honor and opportunity to, to work uh, for many years now with uh, recovery programs, primarily Foundry. I've, I've, I've helped and, and served in, in others and, and consider that a great honor to do that. And um, it's of no coincidence that the two things that uh, the Israelites complain the most about uh, are you ready for this? They complain most about the leadership and the food. Amen. And, and groups of people have a tendency to complain about leadership and food. And, uh, and, and, and God took it personally when people complained about Moses. And so now what's happening? They've got themselves in a bind and now uh, snakes, serpents, have come into the camp And it's a huge crowd of people, uh, millions of people, and just all of a sudden snake just bites you. And and people were dying from these snake bites. And so they got repentant and humble real quick. But notice what they wanted. They wanted the serpents to be taken away. But instead, God used the opportunity. He says, no, you put a serpent on a pole and people look to the pole if they've been bitten. And if they've been bitten... And they look to the pole, they will live. Okay? Now, God will meet you where you are. But there's always got to be some faith involved in it. 
And if there are snakes crawling around your ankles, you tend to be very focused on your ankles. You tend to be very focused on, on what's going on around you. So where's the faith? The faith is look away from where the snake may be to bite you again and instead focus your eyes. Look, right, what you look to. Focus your eyes on the serpent. Now, the, the, the pattern here is look to the bronze serpent and live. But these people did not look to that bronze serpent and live forever. He's saying that now, in the same way your ancestors looked to the bronze serpent and lived, you can now look to Jesus. Of course, all this prophetic because Jesus is going to be lifted up on a cross. You can look to Him and not only live, you can live forever. Do you see the difference here? Look to the bronze serpent and live. Look to and call upon Jesus and you will live forever. So when we talk about these two words, temporary and eternal... Temporary means lasting only for a period of time, not permanent. Lasting, existing, or effective for a limited time only. How many of you know that our salvation is effective? What Jesus did for us on the cross is effective. The blood of Jesus is effective. And I love those old hymns, it will never lose its effective power. Amen. The blood of Jesus is effective. Amen. It it is eternally effective. If something is temporary, again, it's, it's not permanent. It lasts, exists, or is effective for a limited time only. Eternal, on the other hand, is never ending, never changing, continuing forever without interruption. So the problem that we had that Jesus came to rescue us from, brother, sister, it was not a temporary problem. It was an eternal problem that required an eternal solution. Are you hearing me? There were solutions in place that provided temporary results, or we could say it even this way, temporary relief, but it was not a permanent solution. Jesus came to provide an eternal answer for our eternal problem. Let's look at some of these verses now. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9. Again, I've highlighted certain words here for emphasis. Hebrews 5 and 9. And having been perfected, talking about what Jesus suffered and endured for you and me, and then he was reconciled, restored back into oneness and fellowship with his Father. Having been perfected, perfected, having been restored back into oneness and fellowship with his father, Jesus became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Obey him. I don't have time to explain all this, but listen to me, please. He's not talking about you have to earn your salvation through your obedience. This expression, obey him, the Bible talks about obeying that form of doctrine that brought you salvation. To obey it means to hear it and to respond to it. When you call upon the name of the Lord, this is when you receive salvation. And this is when you receive the, the, the internal transformation. You become a new creation, amen, through that experience. He's not talking about it depending upon your uh, ongoing obedience to keep it uh, 
uh, secure or, or, or what have you, okay? So, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. We said last week that eternal salvation did not exist until Jesus did for you and me what he did for us. That's what it means by the author. Now, I'm going to take that word eternal and I'm going to stick in there uh, the definition uh, for eternal. So, watch this now. And having been perfected, he became the author of never-ending, never-changing, continuing forever without interruption, salvation to all who obey him. Amen. Now, Isaiah 45 and 17. Again, these are things that were prophesied. God always, this was, Jesus was the Lamb of God to bring eternal salvation slain from the foundations of the world. In other words, this was not plan B. This wasn't God had this idealistic plan for us and it came off the rails and he scrambled at the last minute to come up with something that would, would patch it back together. No, this was, this was the plan from the very beginning. Amen. I got some, some revelation and some understanding on some of that that we'll, we'll be presenting in the, in the days ahead. Uh, but what God was looking for is an eternal people who would not rebel against him. Not now, not 10 years from now, not 1,000 years from now, not 10 million years from now. Amen. 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 And if you've ever lived without air conditioning in your home, and now you get air conditioning in your home, you want to keep the air conditioning. Amen. And we've lived on this planet where it's broken and it's malfunctioning and and there's still a a, a curse that's very uh, alive in in, in people's lives. Uh, and, And so one day when we live where there is no more curse... We're not ever going to want to go back to somewhere there's a curse. Amen. More on that in the days ahead. But Israel shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. Everlasting salvation is the only way to never be ashamed or disgraced again. Forever and ever. All right, let's go to Hebrews 9 and 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Did he obtain a redemption that only lasts or exists or is effective for a limited time only? That was what we had in the Old Testament. The blood of the bulls and the goats and the, and the lamb, all of that, that was effective, but only temporarily effective. That's why it had to be repeated over and over and over again. But now Jesus has come at the end of the age to do what? To put it away, to abolish it, to make it non-existent. Let's, let's do the same thing with this verse, Hebrews 9 and 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained, never ending, never changing, continuing forever, without interruption, redemption. Now here's another one. Again, we're going back and forth. Here's another one from the Old Testament. Daniel 9 and 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. See, how do, we've asked this question different ways over the last few weeks. How, how do you make an end of sins? How do you, let's say it this way, how do you take away or put away sin 
if you can't make people stop sinning. Are you following me? Jesus put an end to it. He, he, did he, but is he grabbing everybody by the throat and, and saying, you can't, you can't sin, I'm, I'm going to let you? No, see, he put it away by paying for it before the sin was ever committed. Now, thank you, Jesus. Let me, we got a few minutes. Can you hang in here with me just a few more minutes? So, let me put these back up, all right? So, again, eternal, never-ending, never-changing, continuing forever without interruption. Eternal means it will never end and it will never change. Eternal means it will continue forever without interruption. So if it has no end and cannot be changed or interrupted, then it cannot be reversed or undone. Eternal salvation cannot be reversed or undone. Eternal redemption cannot be reversed or undone. Eternal redemption can't be stopped. It it can't be changed. It can't be altered. If it could be changed, if it could be stopped, if it could be reversed, if it could be undone, then it wouldn't be eternal. The same with salvation. So if God gives you something, and if He makes you something that He says will never end and cannot be changed, then either ignorance, arrogance, or both would say, I can change it. I can end it. But when it comes to salvation, people don't say, I can change it, I can end it. They like to point, out to, they like to, point to other people who they believe have gone too far and therefore have ended it or have changed it. How many times have I had people when I teach on these things, so pastor, you mean to tell me if somebody, and then they go off into some sin that's worse than the sin they've committed, right? Thank you, Jesus. Now, when God made you righteous... He made you righteous based upon something and someone that will never end and cannot be changed. This is important. Now, we're going to have to get into this more in the the days ahead. But the Bible says that Jesus is our redemption. That's why our redemption is eternal. He uses this expression in the book of Hebrews... He says that he, he is these things to us by the power of an endless life. He is our propitiation. Our propitiation is not some uh, trust fund or some uh, uh, you know, accomplishment that, although it was accomplished many, many years ago, But it's not just something Jesus did for us. It's who he became to us. It's who he is to us. The Bible says that he is our propitiation. Propitiation means to take the wrath and punishment for our sin, for our wrongdoing. So the way that it can be eternal is because it's it's based upon our Savior who is eternal. Now, I want to use something simple to hopefully help us all see this uh, a little bit more clearly, okay? 
And I want to compare this to a gym membership. Now, maybe some of you listening to me right now have had a gym membership or do have one or plan to have one. But even if you don't have one or never have had one, I think, again, you can understand how they work. You join a gym, and I'm just going to pick an easy round number. You, you agree to pay $40 per month. You can get some a little cheaper than that. You can get some a little more than that, okay? But let's just keep it there, 40 months. And gym membership has its privileges. Am I right about it? People who have a membership have privileges and advantages that people who don't have a membership don't enjoy. They, they can't enjoy them. So again, gym membership has its privileges, meaning you have access, rights, benefits, and advantages that only belong to the members. So under this arrangement, you can enjoy the privileges of membership, watch this now, as long as you pay, as long as you pay the fees. So membership has its privileges, but membership also has a cost. If you don't pay the cost, the privileges are lost. I'm going to say that again. If you don't pay the cost, the privileges are lost. Now let's take the same scenario for a moment. And imagine that someone gives to you a lifetime membership gifted it to you. Are you following me? Let's, let's, uh, yeah, we can, you know, soup this up any way you want to. We can, we can dress it up a little bit. Okay. So the man who owns the gym, he likes you. He, he likes that you're kind to his customers. He likes that you're faithful. He likes that you wipe your sweat off the machine after you get off of it. And he just noticed that. And one day he walks up to you and says, listen, you don't ever have to pay another penny to this gym to enjoy the privileges of membership. I hereby grant to you a lifetime membership. Anybody notice that publishing clearinghouse thing? That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's pretty cool. And, and so now that it's where they give you... What is it, 10000 a week? Or I don't know what it is, but 10000 a week. But, but watch this. For the rest of your life and then for the rest of one of your family members' lives. That's pretty good, isn't it? Right? So kind of like that. You get, this, you get this lifetime membership to the gym. This membership allows you to enjoy the privileges without paying the monthly fee because the fee for lifetime membership has been paid in advance. Some of you are already ahead of me. Y'all want to preach this? Are you, you, you still, y'all with me? Amen. You see where we're going with this, right? Now, you do realize that you could have this lifetime membership and access to all the privileges but never actually go and enjoy and experience them. 
It's kind of like the treadmill becoming the clothes rack at your house, you know. You wonder how many folks pay gym memberships that hadn't been to the gym in months. I started meddling right there, so I'll stop, okay? Now, imagine someone who's been given a lifetime gym membership going to the front desk the first Monday of every month to pay their membership fee. And so the, the lady or the man working the front desk, they... Sir, you, you, you don't owe anything. Well, I mean, it's the first of the month. No, it says right here that you, you have a lifetime membership. Then the next month we go again, right? Next month, March rolls around. First Monday, March goes to the front. Yeah, I need to pay my, my membership fee. You, it's been paid already. So a month-to-month gym membership can lapse. It has to be consistently paid or the privileges are lost. But a lifetime membership, let's say it this way, an eternal membership cannot lapse. Okay? Now I'm going to give you the understatement of the evening. Are you ready? Salvation has its privileges. Salvation has its benefits. Salvation has its advantages. Salvation provides you access, does it not? Salvation provides you uh, a position. It provides you with rights. The privileges of salvation are called inheritance. The privileges of your salvation are called your inheritance. Born again men and women are sons and daughters of God. And being a son or a daughter of God makes you an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. Some memberships have different levels of, you know, you can get a, you can get a Y membership there at Bessemer or at least you, I guess you could still do this. Or you could pay more and you could go to any Y in the state of Alabama. So there's different levels of membership. And those different levels are differentiated from one another because a higher level of membership provides you with uh, greater degrees or greater levels of, of, of privileges and access and, and benefits and, 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 and things of that nature. Yeah? I mean, you, you, got, you got a membership where you get you a free smoothie once a month. I don't know, I'm just being silly. I don't mean to praise God. But you understand what I'm saying here, right? Okay. So does anybody have more privileges in the kingdom than Jesus? Let me say it another way. His access is as high as it gets. His privileges... Or as, as, in other words, there are no privileges above the privileges that Jesus has access to. He, there are no rights greater. There are no benefits or advantages greater. And the Bible says that you have the same 
membership. You are a member of the body of Christ. You are entitled to everything from God the Father that Jesus is entitled to. Jesus says the same glory that Father gave to Him has been given to you. The same love that Father has given to Jesus, He now loves you with that same love. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you and me, making alive our mortal body. He's withheld no good thing from you. Everything that was available to Jesus to do Father's will for His life on this earth has now been made available to you and me. You are an heir of God and you are a joint heir or a co-heir with Jesus. Salvation has its privileges. You still with me? Alright, so there's a verse for that. Hebrews 9 and 15. And for this reason... Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. So we we sometimes have a hard time thinking about Jesus has already paid for sin in our future that we haven't committed yet. But every sin that you committed was future when Jesus paid for it. Jesus paid for your sin before you ever lived to commit one. But he didn't just pay for your sin before you ever lived to commit one. Here we see that he paid for and is the redemption for the sins of the transgressions that were made under the first covenant. In other words, he paid for the sins of the past and he paid for sins of the future. Remember when Jesus would say to people on the earth, your sins be forgiven you. They let the man down through the roof, which is easier to forgive sins or to heal uh, you know, someone who's paralyzed. And notice he didn't say which is harder, he said which is easier. And he says, and he forgave the man's sins. And then he said, so that you'll know I have the power on earth to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk. The woman caught in the act of adultery. Moses' law said she should have been stopped. That was a transgression under the first covenant. She was caught in the very act of adultery. Jesus told her to go and sin no more. But he wasn't sweeping her sin under the rug. What he was in essence saying was this. um, Instead of them dragging you outside the city gate and killing you for your sin, I'm going to let them drag me outside the city gate and kill me for your sin. One of the first times that I remember spending the night with a a friend from school, we uh, was at North Highland Elementary, and uh, his mom picked us up, and we went to the Highlander, um, little grocery store over here, community grocery store, and and grabbing some snacks. We spend the night, and you know, and, and um, so we was all hungry, you know, after school. And they grabbed a sack of potato chips off the rack there. And man, her mom, his mom, Richard's mom, just whoosh, opened them up, grabbed her handful of them, handed them to the kids. I'm like, I'm I'm like panicked. Okay, we didn't do that. And I'm thinking we're like all fixing to go to the, to the, the what they call it, the clinker or whatever. The, I mean, I, literally, I'm, I'm like, what am I going to do? I mean, I'm, I'm fixing to go to jail, stealing, you know. Can't believe this. I mean, I already knew they kind of used some language we didn't use, but, you know, I didn't tell mom about that. I guess if, if this is one of the worst things that I ever did, I, I guess, amen, well, sin, sin, wrong's wrong. I knew mom and dad didn't want me to do it, but. That anybody remember smoke? I can't believe I'm telling this. God's forgive me. Anybody remember that movie Smoke and the Bandit? I was a little kid, not just that Trans Am, and I wanted to see that movie so bad. And uh, 
you got, you got to keep in mind, right, B-U-T-T-C, I'm spelling it. Short for buttocks in our house was, you might as well drop the F-bomb. It was, it was foul language, right? It was a four-letter word, you know. And um, his mom and dad, they wanted to go to some movie, and, and, and so they dropped us off at Smokey and the Bandit. Man, when my mom, my mama found out, because that was that was some language in that movie. I mean, I heard words in that movie. I didn't, I didn't, I saw, some of them I knew were cuss words. Some of them I didn't. I didn't know they must be cuss words. I never heard those words. I mean, my granddaddy didn't even say them words. I'm like, I don't know what that's all about, right? You know. So, but anyway, that, that was later in the evening. See, they got me in all kind of trouble. So, um, so they're sitting there just just pounding these tater chips, you know, and. His little brother, give me some. You want some? I'm not hungry. I'm like, I really wasn't hungry. I was getting sick in my stomach, right? So now we get up to the line to check out. You know, she's got all these groceries, and I'm kind of standing back like, if it goes down, I'm going to run. I don't know, like, you know. And the lady, hi, you know, just hi, 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 hi. And, um, and she just took that empty bag of potato chips. This was before those scan days, right? You want the bag? Nah. Wadded up, threw it in the garbage. I'm like, oh, so that's how that works. But you realize that's what Jesus did, right? We, we, we ate the chips and he paid for it after we had already done it. See, so he, he, he told them people, that woman that caught the act of adultery told that woman, that man, when he said your sins be forgiven you, he wasn't like abracadabra, poof, they're gone, No. He knew that he was going to pay for them before he checked out. Amen. So in the same way that he paid for their sins after they committed them, right? Forgave them, then paid. He paid and then, amen. Amen. By means of death, through the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, but you see those highlighted words there, that those who are called may receive the promise of what? Eternal inheritance. So one last verse and we'll pray. And for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the never ending, never changing, continuing forever without interruption, privileges of salvation also known as inheritance. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Praise God. Praise God, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Man, so much more here, but we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into this a little more next week. Amen. Well, fathers, we stand before you. The first thing we want to say is thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for all that you've given to us. And, and Father, you, you, know, you, you said it in your word in 1 Corinthians that we have received, we have received, not the spirit of the world, but we have received the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who is from God. And we've received Him for a lot of purposes, but one of the purposes is so that we might know the things that have been freely given to us. Father, we, we want to understand what You've done for us, what You've given to us, what and who You've made us. Father, we, we want to have increased capacity for gratefulness and appreciation. And Lord, one of the key ways that comes is when we see more and more and understand more and more of just how good you are and just how deep 
and wide and high and long your love is for us. Father, thank you for eternal salvation. Thank you for eternal redemption. And thank you for eternal inheritance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Good things coming for you and your family. Um, I'll see you Sunday, if not before. Praise God.